70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, this is Jonathan from Kentucky in the United States. I started listening to Korean music a couple years ago, and that led me to the podcast version of One Fine Day. And I really enjoyed uh, Lena's segments with the other guest hosts about uh, dramas and several decades of Korean music. And I learned a lot, and it was very entertaining. And I discovered that I could download the KBS World Radio app and listen to the rebroadcast and also hear the music. Uh, so it's pretty much a daily listen for me at this point. Uh, I also like to check in on K-Pop Connection because um, they play great music as well and also keep me informed on entertainment news. And I just want to wish everybody at KBS and especially the people that make it possible a, a happy 70th birthday. And I look forward to the next milestone, uh, which will probably be 75. Uh, so I, I'm still going to be a listener then, I'm sure. Thanks. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Wednesday, the 29th of November, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang The World Expo will not be heading to Busan in 2030, after the southern port city lost out on the bid to Riyadh, despite concerted efforts by the UN administration. We'll have more on the results in our news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we'll explore the idea of whether reunification with North Korea could help solve the population crisis that South Korea is currently facing. And coming up for Korea Book Club, we ask, what's your MBTI? A collection of short stories inspired by the personality test that has taken Korea by storm. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. Busan has lost the bid to host the 2030 World Expo to Riyadh. Representatives of the Bureau International de Exposition held a final vote in Paris on Tuesday, choosing the capital of Saudi Arabia over South Korea's port city and Italy's Rome. And it won in a landslide vote. Uh, KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to bring us the details of the vote, as well as our other headlines the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang So it was a chastening afternoon for South Korea after mm-hmm. it had gone all out in recent months to try and secure a come-from-behind victory against Riyadh. They were hoping that they would secure enough votes in the first round for a runoff, one-on-one showdown with Riyadh. Mm-hmm. But hopes were brutally dashed. What can you tell us about the vote count? Well, the Saudi Arabian capital city clinched the victory outright on Tuesday, garnering a two-thirds majority in the first round of votes, as Busan fell far behind with only 29 ballots, while Italy's Rome secured just 17. 
And uh, that is how uh, the hopes were dashed, unfortunately. Yes, Riyadh garnered 119 votes in the end to Poussin's 29 and to Italy's 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, following the disappointing announcement, uh, President Yoon sang yeol held an apologetic news conference on Wednesday and promised to continue pursuing balanced regional development of the country. Yes, the president had sought to achieve this by hosting a world expo in the nation's second largest city on the southern coast. Now let's listen to what the president had to say during this conference. I, as president, should be blamed for the lack of leadership. The bid to host the expo in Busan wasn't just for its development, but an attempt to promote the nation's growth by ensuring balanced regional development, centering around the two axes of Seoul and Busan. Our bid to host the expo has failed, but our pursuit of balanced development in the country will continue. Well, President Yun also congratulated South, uh, Saudi Arabia, calling the kingdom a core partner. Now, listen, listen to what he had to say. I would like to sincerely congratulate Saudi Arabia, a core partner country, for winning the bid it wanted. We would like to provide Saudi Arabia with the knowledge that we gained while campaigning for Busan's bid and other assets we have to help the successful hosting of the World Expo 2030. The World Expo 2030 will be held between October the 1st, 2030 and March the 31st, 2031 under the theme The Era of Change Together for a Foresighted Tomorrow. Busan Mayor Park Hong- Park Hyung-jun, meanwhile, said the city will consider bidding to host the 2035 World Expo. Meanwhile, both rival political parties lauded the nation's combined efforts to bring the 2030 World Expo to the southern port city and pledged to continue moving forward for a better future. Can you tell us more? Well, in a statement on Wednesday following the win for Saudi Arabia's Riyadh, ruling People Power Party chief spokesperson Park Jong-ha said that although the outcome was an unfinished success, joint efforts by the government, parliament and businesses have made a global impression. Main opposition Democratic Party chief per, uh, spokesperson Kwon Chisung uh, consoled the residents of Busan and the South Korean people, saying uh, public support and passion for the expo bid over the past seven years has led the foundation for Busan's new future. He said that uh, the main opposition will do its best to support the city's push to move forward and uh, with various uh, infrastructure projects, such as the construction of a new airport on uh, Kadok Island and an expressway linking Busan Newport and nearby Kimhae. Okay, let's continue on now to other headlines. Starting with North Korea, the US Department of Defense dismissed the significance of North Korea's claims that its military spy satellite photographed key US facilities, such as the Pentagon and the White House, by saying that there are plenty of images online of those buildings. What can you tell us? Well, the Pentagon spokesperson Brigadier General Patrick Ryder said, uh, the, uh, made the remarks on uh, in a press briefing on Tuesday when asked to comment on the North's claim, saying that he has no information to offer regarding the images allegedly taken by the satellite. Asked if the satellite launch was successful, the spokesperson said that the U.S. 
is aware that the North launched a space rocket utilising ballistic missile technology and the payload went into orbit. Ryder declined to categorise the launch as a success, adding that it would be up to Pyongyang to define what it was hoping to achieve. Turning back now to South Korea, the latest fertility rate figures were released today. And the figures for the third quarter remain at an all-time low of 0.7 for the second consecutive quarter. Can you break down the numbers for us? Well, according to the Statistics Korea on Wednesday, the total fertility rate or the number of babies a woman is projected to have in her lifetime stood at 0.7 in the uh, July to September period, down 0.1 from a year earlier. The number of newborns in the third quarter also declined 11.5% on year to 556,794, while the crude rate birth or the annual number of live births per 1,000 dropped by 0.6 to 4.4 in the third quarter, with the number of deaths in September standing at 28,364. After dropping 3% on year, the population naturally declined by 9,657 during the month, uh, continuing at 47-month downward streak in September. Yes, we'll talk more about the population crisis for our in-depth today, including a more radical idea to address the issue that's coming up after this news briefing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, turning now to the latest in education, it's been announced today that elementary and middle schools in Seoul are planning to introduce robots for one-on-one English-speaking programmes next academic year in a bid to reinforce the subject in public schools. Can you tell us more? Well, the Seoul Metropolitan Office of uh, Education Super, uh, Superintendent Cho Hee-yeon announced on Wednesday that the English tutor robot developed with a private firm will be supplied to five elementary and middle schools for a trial run in March. The AI-installed robot, resembling those operating in restaurants, will be capable of communicating with Uh, students in English, as well as offering customised one-on-one learning. The Education Office will also pilot a chatbot app that enables students to engage in conversation with the software based on a topic selected by the user. Moving on to the latest in the so-called megacity plans, the mayors of Seoul and the nearby city of Kwachan in Gyeonggi province met on Wednesday to discuss a megacity initiative that could involve the Satellite Cities Incorporation. Mm-hmm. At the start of that meeting, Seoul Mayor Osehun said that Kwachan has good accessibility to the capital with around 40% of its working residents commuting to Seoul, emphasising that the envisioned plan should focus on mitigating inconveniences stemming from discord between one's area of life and work and administrat- uh, administrative zones, or said talks should not be limited to the greater Seoul area, but the administrative system nationwide. Following the meeting, Kwachan Mayor Shin Geong said she uh, proposed discussions on the city's development and ways to maintain its residents' rights and benefits. The two municipal governments are expected to set up a joint research and uh, body uh, to further explore a possible integration. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Thank you for bringing us those stories. Thank you.
South Korea is facing challenges due to its aging population. The fertility rate in Korea is now 0.7. Estimates suggest that the nation needs a fertility rate higher than 4 to keep the population at 45 million. Increasing immigration has been touted as one measure to address the situation, but even with a 15.8% increase in the ratio of immigrants, the fertility rate would still have to be at least 1.52 to maintain the population. This reality has led to people reaching for more radical ideas, including reunification with North Korea. There are an estimated 18 million working-age individuals north of the border, and a potential reunification could help mitigate the population crisis. To tell us more about this idea, including how reunification affected Germany's population, we're now joined by Anton Schultz, Advisory Committee Member at the Migration Research and Training Centre here in Korea. He joins us on the line now. Mr Schultz, hello, and thank you for your time. Yes, thank you for having me. Yes, Korea's population crisis is a topic that uh, you have taken a deep interest in. And in fact, uh, you spoke during a conference on the subject earlier this year, where you said that Korea's aging population is the biggest threat that the nation faces, even compared to North Korea's threats and everyday crimes as well. So how much of a crisis are we facing? Why is the population crisis the biggest threat for South Korea? I think uh, that the Korean population has not yet fully understood how big the crisis is. And um, actually, partially that is due to the fact that you can't feel it uh, at this stage very much. So if people look around on the streets of Seoul or anywhere uh, in major Korean cities, they will think, oh, well, there's still a lot of children around. So right now, at this moment, you might not feel it. But in 15, 20 years down the line, uh, you will start to feel it uh, much more drastically. And the problem is that uh, aging is something that happens over time. And so uh, if we do not make any changes now, uh, there's basically nothing we can do to avoid it. And, and in fact, why I think it's the biggest threat, the, the simple reason is because I think it has spiraled out of control uh, from the Korean government or the Korean people because uh, this is something they will not be able to fix uh, easily anymore. Let's say, for example, North Korea, you could if you have the right policies or change of leadership uh, in North or South or both or something, maybe maybe could, people could come together. Let's uh, remember 2018 when uh, President Moon uh, stepped across the border and so on and so on. There was real hope for, uh, for solving this crisis and also other issues, uh, geopolitical changes or economic changes uh, could possibly change. Uh, some of the current problems uh, Korea is facing. But uh, the whole thing with uh, the birth rate and the implications of the demographic uh, changes that we have, you just can't fix that with a law or you can't fix it with diplomacy. That is something that only can be fixed with either a major influx of immigration, which most Koreans don't want, um, or with an incredible increase in, uh, in births by young uh, Korean women or young Korean families, for that matter. And that is also not likely to happen. And so that's why I think it's, it's very drastic, because uh, it cannot be changed easily. And it will have a lot of implications on a lot of, uh, on a lot of things uh, for Korea, from uh, tax payments to retiring age to the economy and so on and so on. You said the situation spiraled out of control. How has it gotten to this point? How did Korea end up with the lowest fertility rate in the world? Well, I think there is no 
easy answer for that. Let's remember that uh, Korea had a very high birth rate, and as many governments in, in Asia, uh, most famously the Chinese government, at some point they um, basically implored their uh, people to have less children. And that they did. I think um, reducing uh, uh, birth rate is much easier than raising the birth rate. At least that worked pretty well. And uh, by the time they realized that uh, there could be difficult uh, implications, um, um, it was difficult to turn around because the economy had changed a lot. And uh, for, at the moment, for example, South Korea is the most expensive country in the world to raise children for the cost raise one child here, you could potentially raise two children uh, in Germany, for example. The housing market is extremely expensive. You have overall high cost. Uh, um, there's incredible costs for private education, and the education system has uh, other major issues. So I think it's not this one single reason that you have, um, and that makes it even more difficult to solve the problem because it's a kind of cocktail of different reasons. And also, I think the Korean people have changed. And back in the days I came here in, in the uh, 90s, uh, being married and getting children was not an option, really. It was kind of mandatory. So it was just a question of when you get married and how many children you're going to have. But that has changed, too. So people uh, want more of a free life. And many young women uh, realize maybe I have to choose a child or a career. Uh, and that is very sad, of course, and mm. that is something the government might be able to fix with uh, laws and legislations. But currently, that is, uh, for many young women in the state, uh, the, the, the reality of their lives. So I think it's all of these things together uh, that created this incredible low birth rate, which is further and further declining. Right. So it's a desperate situation and people are now looking for uh, desperate solutions. And one extreme idea that uh, we are talking about today is the potential reunification of the Korean Peninsula as one way to uh, resolve this issue, one way to uh, mitigate the crisis. It's certainly a, a radical idea. Can you expand a bit more on this idea for us? How would it work? Um, it sounds like a radical idea, I think, because of the many years that have passed and, and things on. But I think we should look for uh, reunification, not just for, for the sake of fixing uh, the birth uh, con uh, rate problem in, in sure. South Korea, the declining mm. problem. There are many humanitarian reasons why we should always uh, work towards that. But generally, um, I don't think it would fix the problem, but it would help. Uh, it might slow down the aging process um, and it would buy us time to adjust because a lot of the changes that we will probably see over the next 10, 20, 30 years will be very drastic. But if we can slow down the process, um, uh, we could adjust better and we might need time to adjust. Currently, um, to give you an idea, the median age in North Korea is uh, about uh, 36.1. And the median age, which is often a factor which you use to, to see like what is kind of uh, similar to the average age, you could say it's not the same, but it's similar in a way, uh, in South Korea is 42.8. So there's a huge gap. Mm. So it means if we had a reunification, we had much more young people immediately, working age, um, and so on and so on. So definitely, uh, it could it could help. And the birth rate in North Korea is also actually not the best. It's below the 2.1, which is necessary to maintain a stable population. It's about 1.9, so not that far away. Um, but that is still. Uh, about 2.5 higher than South Korea. So we have much younger population. We have a much higher birth rate. So would it fix the problem? I don't think so. Uh, but would it help? Definitely. 
Right. I understand that you've talked about Germany's case related to this idea. Uh, Post-reunification Germany had significant migration within the country. Uh, Many people from East Germany moved to West Germany seeking uh, better economic opportunities, which caused uh, demographic shifts uh, within the newly unified nation. Uh, How did Germany's reunification influence its population? Actually, I think uh, apart from the overall number of uh, of citizens that we have, it didn't have a major impact. Uh, the reason is in the 70s, actually, uh, formerly Eastern Germany and Western Germany were the two nations in the world with the lowest birth rates uh, altogether. So um, both were also, by the time we got reunited in uh, 1990, we had almost identical birth rates. Um, before reunification, uh, Eastern Germany was a little bit higher, but it was not nearly the, the difference that we just talked about with North Korea and South Korea. So the impact actually uh, was not that big, I think. And also, if you look at the number of people who actually moved from East to West, um, it's also not that huge. It's, for example, compared to the influx of, uh, of uh, refugees we had from Syria or now from Ukraine or so, it's actually much lower than that. So I would not say that Germany would be a case scenario you could study to okay. to learn too many lessons for the north-south reunification scenario because the similarities or actually the, the, the differences are outweigh the similarities, I would say. Okay. Are there any other historical precedents or case studies then that might suggest that reunification could positively impact uh, population growth in similar contexts? I have not read any of those studies, but I'm sure there are some mm. uh, some uh, studies out there. I think, uh, realistically seen, uh, you, you must always look at the at the scenario you add. For example, North South Korea is a very drastic scenario in a sense that uh, it has it, both populations are relatively big, and the differences between the two populations are very big. Um, there are not that many separated nations on the planet. So I don't think it's like a thing where like, oh, we have like uh, 50 or 60 Mm. separated nations. Uh, Let's make a study about that. But that really depends on the population. And like with... um, for example, East and West Germany, as I just explained, the the differences were not so big um, for various reasons, because also the economic difference between East and West Germany uh, were not nearly as big as between North and South Korea. And the time of separation was not as long, uh, and so on and so on. So I think there are always, you have to look at the factors, but I don't think uh, you can make it a general case that, yeah, uh, reunification uh, will impact, uh, uh, for example, Mm. uh, things in this direction or the other. It's certainly a fascinating idea, but it's one that doesn't seem likely at the moment, considering the situation between uh, the two Koreas. Uh, this is essentially, right for now, a sort of theoretical thought experiment then, right? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think 2018, I, I already mentioned 2018, that came uh, suddenly in a way, like through, the, uh, through Donald Trump, Mm. who made this uh, initiative, and suddenly things uh, seemed to be possible. I was out there uh, in in 2018 in April uh, uh, with uh, thousands of other journalists, and I really felt there is change in the air. Things can happen, because I had seen it in Germany. One year before reunification, nobody would have believed in Germany that reunification is, is close or nearby. And then it suddenly happened. So history is very strange, and 
look at things that happened over the last years, uh, from the Ukraine war to things like the coronavirus. If you had asked five or six years ago about a scenario like the coronavirus, then people think, like, sell the story to Hollywood or something, you know. It, it didn't sound realistic. So sometimes things happen. And anything is possible. So let's, for example, say not that I would hope for that or something that uh, maybe, for example, the North Korean leader is assassinated and then suddenly new forces come to power and say, listen, we want a complete different direction. We want to open up. We want um, uh, we abandon the nukes and everything. It's not an impossible scenario in such uh, mm. a country. And then it, we could look, be looking at some kind of uh, reunification within the next three to five years. And uh, also it's possible that he lives until uh, a long age and will never give up the nukes, uh, which is probably a more likely scenario, and we will not have a reunification in 20 or 30 years. So it's it's really from where we stand now, no, it's not very realistic for the near future. Um, but is it impossible? Definitely not. Right. So it's something that we perhaps should be considering in the back of our minds, especially uh, as Korea does face this uh, population crisis. That's one of the issues. Uh, Perhaps then we can get your thoughts on one more uh, idea before we go, and that's the idea of increasing immigration in Korea, in South Korea, to try and tackle the population crisis. What is your take on this uh, potential solution uh, to the situation? Um, I think it would definitely help. I think, uh, um, and that's something we can control more easily with legislation, for example, than mm. uh, birth rate in comparison. Because if we allow more immigrants to come, most likely more immigrants will come. Uh, the main problem here is also the mindset of the Korean people. If Korean people don't want these people here, then these people will not feel welcome and will not want to live here uh, potentially for a long time. And or we have uh, the risk of uh, parallel societies, which we see in in certain areas in Europe, for example, and which is also not a great scenario to have. So I think uh, what the Korean government really has to work on is, uh, for example, the German government did some campaigns to to make create a better understanding um, uh, for why foreigners come here, why we need foreigners. And, for example, remember 2018, the... um, uh, when the people from Yemen came and came mostly to Jeju Island at the time, I think everybody remembers that it was about 500-something people. And uh, I think that actually would have been a great opportunity um, to for somebody like President Moon Jae-in at the time, uh, who comes from a human rights perspective and so on and so on, to remind the Korean people that, uh, for example, Korean people too have a long history of immigration to other countries and they fled the countries for war or they fled from Jeju Island during the prosecution and so on and so on. So reminding the Korean people that they too used to flee their own country for safety or a better life uh, could maybe uh, create a better understanding why people come here and a better mindset. And I think that is necessary um, together with uh, better uh, support for foreign people coming here. For example, for me, I've been living here for a very long time, about 25 years, and I would say my life is becoming somewhat harder the last years due to uh, digitalization. Uh, So digitalization makes things more difficult for non Korean people, um, because all the the digital authentication processes Mm. and so on, they're completely catered to Korean people, which means if you have, like me, for example, a long name, then you can't enter your 
full name into the application, mm. which then in the uh, authentication process will create an error and you just can't proceed and so on and so on. So uh, taking uh, into account that we're not a fully Korean society anymore, that we're about 5% foreigners, uh, tendency rising in this country with uh, different names and different uh, other things than Koreans, we have to adjust the whole apparatus, uh, and that includes digitalization, so that uh, foreigners can uh, be integrated into Korean society better uh, than it is currently possible. Well, it's certainly been interesting to get your insights today, Mr. Schultz, some very uh, interesting ideas. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. We'll be speaking to Anton Schultz, Advisory Committee Member at the Migration, Migration Research and Training Centre. Thank you once again for your time. My pleasure. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 1.95 points, or 0.08% on Wednesday, to close the day at 2,519.81. The tech-heavy Kosdaq, however, gained 6 points, or 0.73%, to close at 822.44. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened, 4.1 won against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,289.61. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that today, we have in the studio with us news editor Daniel Chair. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. Okay, what do you have for us first today? Back in February, the parent of an elementary school student launched an all-out attack on their child's school based in Seoul after it accused the student of violating election rules during the student council presidential election. The Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education responded on Tuesday by reporting the parent in question to the police. Wow, so they've been reported to the police then. So the situation has escalated quite significantly. What led uh, the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education to take this drastic action? Well, the parent began by pouring in complaints for around six months straight, suing the school half a dozen times and even sending some 300 requests to reveal certain information the school possesses. Some of the actions include verbally abusing a school official and spreading rumors about the vice principal, saying that they received bribes when they selected specific companies to work with the school. The parent claims the school forced the child to sign and agreed to committing violations that led to the cancellation of the election win and sued the principal and vice principal for child abuse. The files and info the parent requested are mostly irrelevant to the election, such as school budget, names and credentials of school officials. Right, so the school board reported the parent to the police for defamation and obstruction of official duties on Tuesday, and this will now be looked over by the police. Uh, We'll see what they conclude on the matter. But this story has caught the public's attention because it is the latest in a string of cases and stories over the past year or so of parents harassing or abusing teachers and schools. Uh, The pressure that teachers and schools can come under has been under the spotlight and looks like this could be another such unfortunate case as well. Let's uh, continue on now to our second story. What do you have for us? Well, to celebrate the 60th anniversary of relations between Korea and European Union, two Korean artists with a special tie to Belgium held a special commemorative concert in Brussels on Tuesday. That sounds interesting. Who are the two musicians who joined forces then for this special event? 
Well, they are Hwang Sumi and Kim Tehan, the winners of the Queen Elizabeth competition held in the Flergy, and they performed at the same venue. Yes, Kim Tehan. He was actually one of our guests for Touch Basin's Hole back in June. Our listeners can check out an interview with him to find out more about his background and story. Uh, what did he and Hwang play on Tuesday then? The pieces were carefully arranged to provide the audience with classics like works of Mozart and Beethoven, but also to include Korean works such as songs by Kim Dong-hwan and Shin Dong-soo. The performance was held on a weekday. Still, tickets were nearly sold out. The audience response was amazing, with standing ovation continuing long after the curtain dropped. Yes, I believe it was the first time the two artists performed together on the same stage, but it looks like they had instant chemistry. Well, both of them finished on top of the Queen Elizabeth competition, the same grand competition, so they understand their journey very well and have great respect for one another. Mm. The international prize is regarded as one of the most coveted accolades in classical music. Uh, this June, Kim Tae-han became not just the first Korean male opera singer to win it, but the first Asian male opera singer as well. Hwang Soo-mi won the first prize in the Queen Elizabeth competition back in 2014. Well, it sounds like it was a great evening indeed. Let's move on to our last story, which I believe is also music-related, right? Yes, this time we head to the world of K-pop. BTS, of course, has not been working as a complete unit for a while, with many members having to serve in the army for the mandatory national service and some releasing solo albums. Still, the K-pop group won the World Icon of the Year Award at the Mnet Asia Music Awards, short form, we called it MAMA, held in Japan's Tokyo Dome on Tuesday. Yes, and the World Icon of the Year Award. It is one of the top awards of the event, right? And this isn't the first time that the group has won it. They've been defending the title, in fact, for over half a decade now. Right. Yes, this is the sixth consecutive Worldwide Icon of the Year Award win for BTS since 2018. (laughs) At this year's event, the group also won the Worldwide Fans' Choice Award, just like last year. Quite meaningful because BTS became the first act to receive over 50 MAMA prizes since the award show began in 1999. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Uh, Jungkook made an acceptance speech on behalf of the BTS members via a video call. Uh, what did he have to tell fans? First of all, he thanked the fans and expressed disappointment at being unable to be on the stage with his fellow members. He asked fans to stay healthy and happy until the day comes when BTS can meet them and perform for them as a whole unit. It is extremely rare for K-pop groups uh, to meet maintain their popularity when members are missing due to other obligations, namely the mandatory military service that usually lasts around 21 months. The continued success of BTS as a group and the success of members that release solo albums is something quite unprecedented, especially since they continue to garner greater global recognition, a testament to the talent and work ethic of the members. Indeed. That's what we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, it's time for Korea Book Club, our weekly segment where we dive into the world of current literature, usually through works available in English translation. This week, we have with us literary translator Beth Nihong, which means it's our special monthly edition of the club where we look at a current bestseller or notable work in Korea that has not yet been translated, so we get a better sense of the local literary scene today. Beth is here with us in the studio. Beth, hello. It's good to have you back with us. 
Hi, Jango. It's good to have you here as well. Okay, so uh, what did you bring for us this month? For this month, I've brought the short story collection, 혹시 MBTI가 어떻게 되세요? Or, What's Your MBTI? Published in December of last year by Itta. Okay, so this is the first book in a three-part series, I believe, that covers all 16 personality types as laid out in the Myers-Briggs Personality Type Indicator, or MBTI. Now, this is a personality test tool that's become very popular in Korea in recent years. Uh, So before we dive into this book, I think we need to explain a bit more about what MBTI is exactly. Yes, for people who don't know, the MBTI is a self-reported questionnaire of around 90 questions indicating differing psychological preferences in how people perceive the world and make decisions. It was first developed over 75 years ago in 1944 in the U.S. by Isabel Briggs Myers and her mother, Catherine Cook Briggs, based on Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's theory of psychological types. This test was actually first used during World War II to help women find jobs suited to their personalities to fill the labor shortage. Since then, it's been used as a non-scientific tool for team building, conflict prevention, and leadership development by various companies and organizations around the world. And as you said, it categorizes people into one of 16 personality types in four dimensions, which is where the four letters come from. Mm. So they are I or E, which is introversion or extroversion, S or N, sensing or intuiting, T or F, thinking or feeling, and J or P, judging or perceiving. Mm. So for example, I'm an ENFP, which means that I tend to be more extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and perceiving. How about you, Chang'o? Do you know your MBTI? Yes, I do know my MBTI. Uh, I am an ENFJ. Uh, I know this is meant to be a bit of fun, but I'm actually a little bit uncomfortable about telling people about my MBTI sometimes because it is a personality test that's been debunked essentially as pseudoscience. So I'm not keen on the idea of being pigeonholed as well. But nevertheless, it has taken a very strong hold in Korean society. And it's no surprise, really, that there would be a three-book series of short stories based on MBTI. Uh, can you give a bit more context about how uh, MBTI's uh, has taken a role in contemporary Korean culture? Yeah, as you said, MBTI has become very ubiquitous in Uh, Korean culture, the same way that blood types were back in the 1990s. The MBTI craze really caught on in 2020 at the outset of the COVID pandemic for various reasons. Mm. Um, Some people point to the high usage of social media during that period of heavy quarantine when many young people had no choice but to stay at home and socialize through virtual means, which included mass sharing of personality tests and analysis of their results. Yes, one of the first questions that uh, come up nowadays when meeting uh, someone new is, what is your MBTI? So it's almost become a part of uh, Korean social culture now, and especially among uh, millennials and Gen Z in Korea, or uh, MZ generation as it dubbed here. Uh, In one way, it's organizing people into groups, but also it's about asserting what they think their personality type is, and thus individuality, right? Yeah, um, you can actually see this desire to stand out in other trends for finding your personal color, for example, or wearing one-of-a-kind vintage or repurposed clothes and other pseudoscientific personality tests like Enneagrams, which are very popular among MZs, as you said. Mm. And recently, there's even been reports of young people looking up their old elementary school records for teachers' comments on their personality, which 
caused the public portal system for looking up these records to crash. <laughs> so um, turning to the book series, the cover designs are quite clearly geared to appeal to the current trend. They feature retro Disney cartoon-like characters and a very Y2K New Jeans album cover aesthetic. <laughs> right. Right, so it's against this backdrop that this collection of stories uh, takes place. The first collection covers all of the N or intuitive types, INTJ, INTP, ENTP, ENFP, INFJ and INFP. We won't go into all of what they all mean individually, but yes, N or intuitive is the opposite of S or sensing personalities, I believe. N personalities meant to rely more on their imagination, uh, while S are more interested in observable facts. Uh, that's according to the MBTI website anyway. So these uh, sets of stories are about people who are supposedly more intuitive then, right? So yes. Beth, which ones stood out for you? Which stories uh, should we start with? So two stories stood out for touching on the dating and marriage scene in Korea. Um, Jung Dae-gun's Denial INTJ is about an INTJ man named Kyungmin who goes on a blind date with an ENFP woman named Eunju, who says she absolutely hates INTJs. As a result, he lies about his MBTI, saying he's an ISTP. And as the title suggests, Kyungmin is in a state of denial in many ways, not just about his MBTI, but also how, about how things ended in his last relationship. And Kyungmin expresses his frustration at how much importance Unju places on what he sees as a pseudoscientific test, which antagonizes certain types like his, um, the same way that blood types were in the past. Mm. And through their short-lived courtship, we see how complicated human relationships and situations are in reality um, from such simplistic distinctions. Right. And meanwhile, uh, the other story I liked was Dodo's Button by Seo Go-un, um, which has an ENTP protagonist named Young Ji, who works part-time for a matchmaking company that lists per prospective candidates' MBTI among the list of specs, along with height, weight, job, income, and so on. Mm. Ironically, Young Ji herself is very cynical about marriage because of her divorced parents, and she's very representative of Gem Zs who have lost faith in institutions, including marriage and job security. And her malaise is perhaps represented by the many buttons that mysteriously show up in the belly of her pet hedgehog, Dodo, who has to get a major surgery to have them removed. Mm. Later on, we find out that Youngji's mother has to get a minor surgery to remove a fibroid in her uterus. So um, it's not a life or death operation, but it cracks Youngji's cynical armor and forces her to reach out to her mother in a way that she's never done before. Right. So it seems uh, both stories touch on perhaps the grey zones of human relationships with the uh, character's MBTI as a backdrop. Uh, one of the stories that dives into this zone headfirst, I believe, is by Yves Hosu, whose, worked, whose works you've uh, highlighted before, right? Yes, I absolutely loved her short story, Kuni's March, from the 2023 Munak Dongne Young Writers Award short story collection, which mm. I reviewed here before. Right. And once again, her short story, Algo Shipun Maum, or I Want to Know Your Thoughts, is my runaway favorite in this collection, as it's filled with incisive and humorous observations about Korean society through engaging dialogue and characters. It starts off with the narrator, Onhe, 
failing at a job interview after being asked about her MBTI, which happens to be the so-called difficult INFJ. Mm. A funny scene ensues between her and her father, who suggests that she goes to an MBTI hagwon to change her type. Wow. Yeah. Um, so while it's humorous, this also gets to a real phenomenon in Korea where some companies do ask prospective applicants to submit their MBTI type. Mm. And some even go as far as to specify which type they're looking for and which they are not. Um, So while these instances are anecdotal and not representative of all companies in Korea, it's raised some conversations here about whether what started as a social media trend is going way too far. And um, meanwhile, as Onhe is in a rut, she hears from her sister Eunmyung that she has found a lump in her breast. So they go to visit their oldest sister, who runs a small restaurant in Jeju, and they share this joyful time together for the first time in a long time and connect. So um, ultimately, the takeaway from the story is that it made me reflect on the shallowness of the current culture in which people kind of ask each other's MBTI to get a brief summary of a person without really putting in the time or effort to really get to know them. And I found myself wondering how I would live differently if I had to face my own mortality as Mm. Eun-myung does in this story. Right. So while these stories use MBTI personality types as the running theme, it seems like the writer is actually looking to offer a deeper reflection on the human condition and relationships uh, beyond the easy levels that are trending at the moment. It definitely sounds like an interesting set of stories. I feel it's a work that would be difficult to be picked up for translation as the MBTI test is not uh, prevalent anywhere else really other than Korea. But for those who can read Korean, I think these stories sound like they do capture uh, the zeitgeist of uh, Korea today. Uh, once again, it's called Hokshi MBTI ga or What is Your uh, MBTI by Itta. And that's all for our book club this week. Beth, thank you for sharing that with us and we look forward to having you back next month. Thank you, everyone. Stay warm. <laughs> Hi, I'm Casey Kelly, pitcher for the LG Twins. You're now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We've come now to Morning Edition Preview, our closing segment, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald, who we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, Richard Larkin, our staff editor. Richard, hello. It's great to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what do you have for us first today? So if any of our listeners in Korea like winter festivities and are looking for something to do the week before Christmas, then they might want to to read Hwang Dong-hee's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald. That's because it has all the information about the National Orchestra of Korea's winter concert. Right. Sounds festive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe this is the orchestra's annual event and many people enjoy going to it, right? It has been a sold out event every year. This year it will take place at the Hanel Round Theatre in Seoul on December 16th and 17th. I was reading the article and I realised that the concert has something for everyone. First, there will be pieces performed using traditional Korean instruments, but Western instruments will be included, like violins, cellos. So it will give the performance a different feel. 
Then songs from famous movies will be performed on stage. Movies include uh, La La Land, The Greatest Showman, Aladdin. And finally, as the concert takes place a week before Christmas, a carol medley titled <laughs> Christmas Carol will finish off the concert. Of course, uh, that sounds perfect. Sounds like an event for all the family. And the nice thing is, is that the orchestra will offer hand warmers, snacks and small gifts to the audience. So the article didn't include the time or price of tickets. So I did a little dig in online. The concert starts at 7pm and lasts around 90 minutes and uh, tickets cost 50,000 Korean won, so that's 38 US dollars. And you can get them from the National Theatre of Korea's website. Yes, I guess guess them, uh, get them while you can because yes. I'm sure it'll sell out again. So sure. yes, uh, get there fast if you can. Let's uh, move on to our next article. What do you have for us? Well, this next article is about a convention. Uh, we do talk about them quite a bit on the show. But the reason why Parkinson's article in the culture section of the Korea Times piqued my interest is because it's not about art, it's not about technology or games, it's about sneakers, or trainers depending on where you're from, <laughs> sure. like us Brits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so SneakerCon, which is said to be one of the world's biggest sneaker convention shows, will come to Korea for the first time ever next year. Interesting. Okay, so this will give people living in Korea then a chance to check out the biggest and limited edition footwear yes. that will be on display. Uh, when exactly will it come to Korea? In October. So the article doesn't give any other details except that it will take place in Seoul. So our listeners will have to keep an eye out for any updates on that. Let me give you a brie- brief background uh, about the convention. It started in New York in 2009. And like you said, you get to see the biggest brands, the biggest streetwear. And you can actually buy and trade sneakers there. And this convention, it's uh, different because it's held at a different location each time, right? Yes, exactly. So the show has previously been held in 30 major cities around the world. I mentioned New York earlier. There's also London, Sydney, Shanghai, LA, and so on. But And um, over 300,000 people attend the event every year. So, And I expect that it will be the same next year as well. Okay, so one for the sneakerheads yes. to look out for next October. Okay, that's where we wrap it up for today's uh, edition of a Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, Richard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we wrap up our show as well. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, before we go, we want to remind you of the uh, various ways you can listen to Crew 24 and our KBS World Radio shows. There are apps, of course, KBS Kong, KBS World Radio, and KBS World Radio On Air. We also have a 24-hour stream of KBS World Radio's English service that is available on YouTube, so you can catch us there. And there's our website where you can find all our previous shows as a podcast. And the show is available on popular podcast apps as well. So you can find us on those platforms, of course, as well. That's where we wrap it up. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So do join us again then to get your daily dose of Korean news analysis. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon Jawa, And thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go.